Hello and welcome to Definitions, the podcast where we crack the lid of the coffin on death, dying and all the morbid morsels in between. Before we go any further, halt and take heed. These are your words of warning. I will be discussing topics of a deathly nature that may be upsetting to some, and today we will be rolling out the ropey history of public execution with all the morbid and gory details. If you're not in the right headspace to get down and dirty with the maggots today, then that's fine. I totally get it. Sometimes you'd rather pour 10 bags of sour popping candy into your mouth and bounce around on a trampoline than dig into a freshly dug grave. Now's the time to save yourself. If you're still here, I'll assume you've got your shovels at the ready and are sharpening your guillotine because today we are slicing through the murky history of the death penalty. Each step creaks ominously. The crowd jostle and heckle below, but the prisoner exists only in their silent bubble. The world muted, and despite the situation, the prisoner feels strangely calm. Surely at any moment, a rider will push through the crowd a letter with a royal seal clutched high in his hand. It may even be a trick of some kind. The whole thing a sick and twisted joke, which they themselves are the punchline of. But no messenger appears, and the planks of the platform bow and spring slightly under the prisoner's weight. They stop and raise their head locking eyes with the young man shaking next to them. He's barely more than a boy. What could he have ever done to deserve this fate? His eyes are stretched wide, disbelief and fear frozen on his face. Until a few weeks ago, he would have been one of the braying crowd below. This day, an excuse to put down tools and leave their toiling in the fields for tomorrow. The boy's tremulous gaze is the last thing the prisoner sees before the hood is pulled tautly down over their head, twin points burned into their eyelids. And as they are blinded by the heavy cloth, the prisoner's hearing rushes back in. The rope around their wrists chafes and rips at their skin, and cries and shouts of the rowdy crowd fill their head until it might burst. None on the gallows that day will see the executioner place the noose about their throats, only feel the rough, twisted cord that will halt their final drop. The prisoner's breath fills their hood sickly and mixed with the scent of fear. If they weren't rooted to the spot, 
They feel as though they could fall into the endless black before their eyes and never stop. The crowd move as an ocean, a ripple running through them as the moment grows nearer, leaning in with bated breath, corn swaying in the wind. The lever lurches, trap doors giving way, and five bodies drop. The crowd holler as one, four twist and writhe, one, the lucky one, jerks once at the end of the rope, neck snapping on impact. The others do the hangman's dance to a music only the dying can hear. One by one, their spasming bodies fall still. The only movement remaining, the swinging of their lifeless bodies in the wind. It's hard to imagine, at least in the UK, public execution as a routine part of life. But only 59 years ago, if you broke the law, you could be putting your life on the line. Although the final public execution took place in 1868, they would continue to take place behind prison walls until 1964. A black flag would be hoisted high above the prison to indicate that a life had been taken in accordance with the law. The last of these was the executions of murderers Peter Allen and Gwyn Evans. Early on the morning of the 7th of April 1964, police were called to a terrible scene at a house in the village of Seaton in Cumbria. John West was found dead in his home at the bottom of the stairs. He was naked from the waist up, and blood was sprayed across the wall and floors, his head cut and bleeding. Clues at the scene of the crime led first to Gwyn Evans, who, until very recently, had been known as John Walby, and had changed his name after multiple attempts at getting accepted by the army. And at various points of the investigation, seemed to lie or provide very strange false information about himself. It transpired that Evans and the dead man West had actually been very close friends, close enough that it's reported West even allowed Evans to get behind the wheel of his precious car and they spent much time in each other's company. According to Evans, the 53-year-old West had welcomed himself into his home whilst his accomplice Peter Allen waited outside in the car. After police were led to Evans as a suspect, he wasted very little time pinning everything on Allen. He claimed that the two men had gone to West with the thought of borrowing money from him, and then, at some point during the night, West had gotten up and left the room, only for Evans to hear the sounds of a fight in the hallway and upon rushing out there, found Alan standing over the older man's prone and bleeding form. At this point, Evans claims to have scarpered from the scene, but Alan and the evidence would tell a different story. Two damning pieces of evidence placed Evans at the scene of the crime. 
both his raincoat, forgotten, and a medallion with his initials on it were found in West's home. Alan, once the finger of blame had been pointed squarely at him, also initially denied any wrongdoing. But just as Evans had done, he would soon turn on his accomplice, claiming that it had always been their plan to steal from the man, but that both men had been involved in the violent beatdown, which had resulted in West's death. Not only had the man been hit around the head several times, but he had also been stabbed through the heart, killing him. The third witness there that night was Alan's wife, Mary, who had, along with their two children, come along on what she thought to be a late night drive and turned out to be a seemingly premeditated crime in an unknown to her stolen car. In her report, Mary said that Evans had disappeared inside the house for a couple of hours before coming out to fetch Alan. And though the men did confess to her that there had been a fight that they had both been involved in, told her nothing more. It was as they were driving away from the scene that Mary witnessed Evans throwing something out of the car. She was able to show the police whereabouts this had taken place and they later recovered a knife covered in West's blood, the murder weapon. By the time the case got to court, both men were doing their utmost to sling the other under the bus. But the jury were unanimous in their decision. Both Evans and Allen were found guilty of capital murder and would be punished accordingly. Appeals made by lawyers for each men were dismissed and their execution date was set for Thursday the 13th of August, 1964. At the same moment, in two prisons across the country, twin nooses were tied and levers were pulled, one in Liverpool and one in Manchester, and the murderers swung. At the time, no one knew that this trial would be the last in the UK to end with a long drop and the snap of a rope. 17 further men would be sentenced to death under the Capital Punishment Act, but none would swing, as execution at the hands of the law and on behalf of the Crown would be abolished only a year later in 1965. Initially, the death sentence was suspended for five years and after this period was voted into law and fully abolished. So I don't think it's news to anyone that for a long time being found guilty of murder could find you at the wrong end of a rope or under the executioner's blade. But throughout history, there have been all sorts of wrongdoings that could land you in hot water. In some awful historical cases where criminals have been boiled to death, quite literally. In Elizabethan England, under the rule of the Virgin Queen, there was a bizarre list of crimes that could end up fast trafficking you onto the next life. Notably, both stealing hawks and alchemy were punishable by death, as were the more obvious crimes of witchcraft, heresy and treason, though not before a healthy dose of torture first, just in case the accused wasn't acting alone. Further back in ancient Rome, 
Creativity was the mainstay of the death sentence. Of course, thanks to a certain son of God, most of us are familiar with the method of crucifixion, which was predominantly used to punish pirates, political dissenters, and those who committed crimes of a societal nature, as a way of dissuading the public from considering joining them in their causes. To be fair, stringing people up for all to see and leaving them to die and rot in the sun sounds a pretty good way to make you want to avoid whatever got them there at all costs. Especially in a society as focused on good, well-observed funeral rites and burials as the Romans were. In China, the torturous method of Ling Qi, or death by a thousand cuts, was used for around a thousand years to punish those found guilty of crimes such as treason and patricide. Over a three-day period, the accused would be sliced deeply over 3,000 times all over their body in order to prolong their pain and suffering for as long as possible. The last person to be executed in this manner was Fu Chu Li, whose sentence for murdering his master, a Mongolian prince, in 1905 was death. You can go online and look up photographs that have been attributed to this horrific event and see for yourself how deep the slices went into Fu's ribs and across his thighs and upper arms, exposing bone, muscle and ligament. But of course, I looked it up so you don't have to. Instead, you can just rest uneasy in the knowledge of all the horrendous things that humanity has done to one another, all in the name of a fitting punishment. Generally speaking, public executions have been carried out for several reasons. In some cases, it was to enforce the fact that there were people out there working towards justice, and as a demonstration of taking rogues and villains off the street and making life safer. But predominantly, it was used as a means of control. It was a warning to all those who turned out to see that this is the fate that would befall them should they dare to step too far out of line. But in some ways, this failed to take into account the bloodthirsty nature of the crowd itself. Many hangings which took place at Tyburn in London in the 18th century drew huge crowds of people of all ages, but I guess when most of the population can't read or write and TV hasn't been invented yet, what else were they going to do for entertainment? There is a thought that one of the reasons corporal hangings in the UK went behind the closed doors of prisons is because the government were disturbed by how many people still gathered to watch convicts drop. There were, of course, certain voices at the time getting louder in the movement towards abolition, but in an age where social conscience was changing, it was seen as ghastly to enjoy such gruesome sights. And, of course, there are places in the world today where state execution is still perfectly legal. As of this year, 2023, 27 US states still have the death penalty, 
and in 2022, Amnesty International recorded at least 883 people as having been put to death in 20 different countries, though predominantly only three or four countries are to blame for the majority of this number. And it would appear that China has the highest execution rate, uh, possibly numbering in the thousands, although as this isn't really data that they published, it's a guess at best. And so often those who end up losing their lives in this way have acted out of desperation or possibly even been killed for their beliefs or identity. Being openly gay even now is still punishable by death in at least six countries. Whether or not a government or sovereign should wield this kind of absolute power isn't something we debate anymore in the UK, but in many parts of the world, it's still a very real fear that people live with. So there you have it. I hope you've enjoyed our short drop into the history of hangings, crucifixions, and other deranged and deadly methods of dealing with those who challenge the law. That's all we've got time for this week, but join me in the next episode for part two, where we'll be looking at some of the most famous executions in history, from the bizarre to the downright grisly. If you are also a lover of the dark, the strange, and possibly of cursed literature, join me over on TikTok at Definitions, where I also chronicle and recommend all of my favourite morbid books. If you have any thoughts to share about the podcast or your own impending mortality, drop them in the comments below. Reviews and ratings go a long way in helping to get this podcast out there, and I greatly appreciate the support. I want to tell you guys about all this weird stuff as much as you want to hear about it. The more you let me know that you're out there listening, the more I'm inspired to delve into the depths of the internet and my local library to bring you these twisted tales. The Definitions podcast is researched, written, and read by me, Jasper Chanter, with music provided by Zapsplat. Anyway, chop chop, break's over, pick that shovel up, that grave's not going to dig itself. Bye bye for now, listeners. Catch you on the other side.